Time to get inspired, develop and improve your yoga knowledge in English. You listen to Your Yoga in English, a podcast for non-native English-speaking yogis that want to practice or teach yoga worldwide. My name is Annie, the founder of Enga Unite, and here to guide you on your way to become the confident, effective and knowledgeable English-speaking yogi you want to be. Today, I would like to speak to you about communication habits to maintain flow in your yoga classes. And as I prepared the session for today, there were so many different things that came to my mind that I will try to keep this brief and concise, make it really effective and useful for you. But there's a lot of things that I would like to share because I'm convinced that all of what I'm going to share with you right now will help you a lot with speaking with fluency, accuracy, more effectively, and thereby cultivate deeper and stronger student-teacher relationships and connect with your students on a much deeper level as well. So... Communication habits, what really are those things? Or what do we speak about when I'm saying communication habits? These habits are the patterns and the behaviors that we've developed over time while we interact with others. And when I speak to yoga teachers about the communication habits, it's your tone of voice, the way you project your voice, the types of words that you use, the way that you put together your sentences, also the way that you listen, respond, react, and hold space for your students. Communication isn't just providing information or speaking to someone, right? It's also the way that you perceive or receive these people. So the way that overall interaction takes place. All of these factors, they greatly influence the effectiveness of the quality of your cues, your instructions, your communication overall, and thereby your student-teacher relationships, the relationships that you build with your students in a group setting, but also one-to-one. So as a yoga teacher, to improve your habits, you need to develop very first thing, your authentic voice, yeah? The way that you express yourself as yourself. So to understand the way that you use your voice and become aware of the way that you express yourself right now or in your first language. So this includes awareness of your communication habits and also refining your communication skills, yeah, so that you can connect more deeply with your students. Because all of those things, awareness, improving and refining these skills will help you to create an environment of trust and also understanding and make your classes more engaging, impactful, and you also foster growth both for your students on the mat and off the mat, so beyond your classes. When we speak about communication habits 
in general, I'm going to give you a few examples because I was thinking about this and I think I've come up with at least 20 different things that this includes. I can't speak about all of that in this session today, but just to give you an idea of what these habits include, right? So habits include, I'm going to check my list while I'm speaking about this, active listening, avoiding interruption so that you let your students speak completely and then reply, not while they are still speaking. Also showing and expressing empathy, being open-minded, giving constructive feedback, using positive language, being present with your students while you speak with and to them, respecting people's boundaries, expressing gratitude, empowering others, and that also relates a little bit to using positive language, avoiding gossip, so not speaking behind people's back, nonverbal communication, so your body language, your facial expressions, your self-awareness of your communication, right? And how to continuously upgrade this. And if you are a yoga business owner or you have a little bit more responsibilities in terms of the privacy or the privacy, depending on where you are, we can pronounce it in two ways. There are more things that come with this, such as conflict resolution, maintaining confidentially, yeah, so that you, when people tell you something in private or when people tell you something very personal, that you don't go out and spread this word with the world, right? Timely responses so that you reply to the students that have questions or that need your feedback on things. Also, clarity in your written communication and regular check-ins so that you follow up with people, yeah? If you have a student, it's a little bit like dating. I saw this example a few weeks back. It's a little bit like dating. If you're starting to date someone and you write to these people all the time and suddenly you disappear, which is called ghosting, right? It's not a really nice thing. And the same for your students. Maintain your relationships, Nurture your relationships with your students. So this list goes on. I can think of even more things, but they all seem pretty obvious to me, right? As a yoga teacher, you're a guide. You're a leader. You're a role model. And you hold space for your students to learn, to grow, develop, and evolve. All of these communications habits naturally create a really welcoming and supporting classroom environment. And ultimately, a space where your students feel being seen, they feel being heard, they feel safe, and also respected. So before I dive into the five things that will help you to maintain flow, if you have never reflected on your communication before, I invite you to sit down and reflect on the points that I've already mentioned. Yeah, reflect on how you interact with your students and what you can do to optimize this. Yeah, but we're going to take it further and really speak about the habits that we have or that we can improve while we are queuing or giving instructions in class. So the communication in which you lead your students or you guide your students through a yoga asana practice 
or through mindfulness practice. Mindfulness and meditation can be very similar. So I'm going to take you through the five habits that you can improve today to maintain flow in your yoga classes. So number one, overcomplicating your cues and instructions. And I'm thinking of the last round that we had with the people on the English for Yoga teachers course. And this one is a big one. So imagine you're in your yoga class, right? You're centering, you're going through your warm-up. Maybe you include some standing asanas, some balancing asanas. In this space, you want your students to be present and connect to their body, their mind, and their soul. And you want your guidance to be very clear, to be effective, to be concise, so that your students do not have to think about what you say and instead can stay present within their own practice. So that means that you want to deliver your cues and instructions, avoiding complexity. So when your cues are really long and they include a lot of different words or they include a lot of difficult words, you risk disruption of the flow because students get confused, right? They get distracted, they lose engagement, Maybe they get anxious because there's a lot of things happening. They're not only listening to you. They're also in their body. They're connected to their breath. They're trying to feel what's going on in their body, their minds, emotions. So your students are going through a lot of different things aside from listening to you. So if your cues are really long and really they include a lot of different words, Your students are too busy thinking about what you said. Maybe they have to look at you to see what you do or look at other people in the room to see what they have to do. And that really disrupts the flow of your classes. Now, another thing, if you teach on an international level, these long and unclear cues can be especially problematic if your yoga students Also, do not speak English as a first language. Why? Because they're already making an effort to understanding English and your instructions in the first place. Yeah, so that's already a challenge. And now they have an extra challenge of understanding even more words or more difficult words and long sentences and maybe yogic vocabulary that's completely new to them. So all of this can cause your students to get lost and it can result in misalignment. You're also filling a space of silence that your students need to process. And I'm going to come to that point in a moment. But really overcomplicating your cues and instructions is the first habit that you need to pay attention to. On the Teach Yoga in English journey, which is a six-month program to improve your language, your communication, and your business skills, we will have a monthly script audit session. And for these sessions, I ask everyone to write a script to help you make your classes or your cues more clear and concise. And I want to give you an idea of what this looks like. I have taken an example of one of our graduate students 
And while she was in the course, she wrote a cue for standing wide-legged forward fold, standing wide-legged forward fold to skandasana, so side lunge. Listen, yeah, I'm going to speak slowly so you understand everything I'm saying. But listen what happened here. This was her first cue, and I will give you an example of how to improve it. So long cues with too many words. Move your upper body towards your right leg. Bend your knee and bring all of your weight down. Bring your right hand to the inner side of your right ankle and the left hand on the floor or in front of you. Bring the palms of your hands together in front of your chest. Lift your chest and breathe. Skandasana. Now, if you speak about this slowly, you understand, you might be able to process. But we need to remember students are in a position. They're focused on their breath, their body, their mind, the emotions, sensations. Maybe they're busy thinking about their to-do list. There's a lot going on in the head of your students already. So this cue is way too long, really. You can shorten it. And what you can say instead, so remember, stand in wide-legged forward fold to skandasana. Bend your right leg, lower your seat, place your hands in front of your feet or in prayer position at your chest, maintain length in your spine, skandasana. And you can add a reminder to breathe as well, but you see, you can really shorten and make it concise. Only mention the key movements or the key actions that your students have to take and by that, make it easy to process and digest. And your students don't have to think so much about what you say. So for your cues, strive for clarity, simplicity, and precision. Use concise language that guides your students in a straightforward and an accessible manner. And be mindful about your cues. Yeah, be mindful to use cues that help your students to stay present, maintain alignment, and deepen their practice. So number one, a habit to unlearn. And what you can do instead is long cues that include too many words, shorten them and make them concise. Number two, inaccurate or non-inclusive words. This is a big habit many students have that they are unaware of. So it's important that we help you gain some awareness about this. What is inaccurate and non-inclusive language? So in the past, if you followed us for a while, you may have heard me speak about outdated language. Yeah, you may have heard me speak about outdated language. So outdated language includes all the words and all the phrases that we do not want to use anymore because they are non-effective, non-inclusive, or inaccurate. So these types of words risk misalignment, injury, discomfort, but also the activation of trauma. And they cause confusion because students may become uncertain about how to move leading to frustration and the disruption of their flow. 
So when unlearning inaccurate and non-inclusive words, you want to pay attention to cultural differences. How words are perceived by people of other languages, their connotations, the associations that students have with the words, but also their individual experience with the words. Yeah, you want your classes to be inclusive and welcoming to all individuals. And it doesn't matter what their background is or their body type or their physical abilities or their energy of the day. So using words that focus on achieving a particular body shape or a body image can cause a lot of dissatisfaction and low self-esteem. And also using non-inclusive language can make your students feel excluded of your classes or uncomfortable. And that goes against all of the principles that we learn in our yoga practices, right? Really, we want to focus on unity and individuality, embracing ourselves, accepting ourselves, but also embracing and accepting diversity around the world. A very common reason why, and be honest with yourself, I've done this too. I've done this too, and I think most teachers have, and especially in the beginning, but be honest with yourself. Because one of the biggest reasons that we use non-inclusive language or inaccurate language is because we blindly copy what we hear other teachers say. Yeah, we blindly copy what we have heard other people say. And that could be because the cue works for you, but that doesn't mean it's accurate or inclusive. And it doesn't mean that that works for every individual. So we want to choose our words mindfully and with intention. So to give you examples, an example of an inaccurate cue or an inaccurate language. Imagine you are in plank pose and you want to build some core strength or you want to activate the core muscles. And some people, some teachers do that by bringing the knees inward toward the chest, the arms, right? It can be that you get there from plank pose or maybe from a three-legged dog. You're moving in and out, right? What I often hear teachers say is bring your knee to your shoulder. Now, anatomically speaking, this is almost impossible, right? Because we're, let's say we're in plank pose and your right leg is straightened behind you and you ask your students now to bring the knee to the shoulder. Your shoulder is up here. Really what you want to say or what you mean is bring your knee to your upper arm bring it forward to your upper arm and behind it, or towards your elbow or your lower arm, maybe towards the wrist, depending on the type of exercise. But never really, it's your shoulder. It's almost impossible. Also, another example of non-inclusive language, and this can be activating, so I just want to give you a warning. But this is something that we say because we've heard other people say it, is that in a wide-legged forward fold, I hear a lot of teachers say, spread your legs apart. And a wide-legged forward fold can be standing or it can be seated. 
spread your legs apart for people that have experienced sexual abuse can be extremely activating. It reminds them of past trauma. Same for open your legs. And it could even be close your legs. All of that can bring up memories that people are actually don't really want to think of or not be reminded of in their yoga class at the very least. So we want to be very intentional with the words that we choose in our cues and also gain a little bit of education on understanding how words are perceived by individuals based on their cultures, based on all the languages they speak and based on their individual experiences. So it's really important that you say something and fully understand why and how this could be perceived. So I invite you to watch a recording of a class that you have or record yourself and watch it to listen to the words that you use or write down your most common cues and see if there's room for improvement to make them more clear, more concise, and also be more intentional with the words that come up for you. Yeah, so number two, a habit to unlearn. And what you can do instead is inaccurate and non-inclusive language or words. And what you want to do is pay attention and gain understanding of how words are perceived by others. Number three, number three, I spoke about this in the first step, but I want to speak about this a little bit more because it's a big one, a really, really big one. And it's filling the silence, filling the silence. So a lot of teachers, and tell me if this is you too, when I started teaching, I definitely felt this way too. So a lot of teachers feel uncomfortable with silence in their yoga classes. And you're not alone if you feel this way too. But silence is necessary to process information and to maintain presence. Because your students come to class for many different reasons. Everyone has their own goal or their own aim or their own purpose of going to a class. Yes, some people just go there because they want to become mindful, find stillness, relaxation, gain self-awareness, create body-mind connection. Some go there for a workout. It doesn't really matter what they come to class for, but every yoga class offers the opportunity for self-reflection, to have the space to explore the thoughts, feelings, emotions, and obtain a deeper understanding of themselves. If the teacher constantly talks, they take the stage or the microphone and they speak the whole class through, all of these things are really hard to achieve. And there are students that prefer a very quiet, meditative atmosphere. And there are students that do like more verbal guidance and they do like to be spoken to more. As a teacher as well, you have your own style and you may naturally be very talkative. So I am not saying that you should always be quiet between your cues. Absolutely not. But constantly filling the silence causes disruption. And again, it disrupts the flow of your class. It disrupts inner focus. It reduces presence. 
It can be overstimulating and there's less time for self-reflection. And for some people, it can even be stressful, right? So pay attention to what you say and how you say it, but also when you say things. So excessive stories, excessive cues, excessive explanations can become very distracting and they can overstimulate the mind. And that leads to fatigue or overwhelm, which is the opposite of the things that you want to achieve or that your students want to come to class for. Now, giving you an example of when this happens the most is in Savasana, right? A lot of teachers tend to feel the silence in Savasana. If that's you too, I want you to ask yourself every time you speak, why am I talking? If it adds to your class, your sequence or the theme of your class, the overall experience, go for it. If it's necessary, if it's useful, if it's inspiring, do use it. But if it's unnecessary chatter because you feel uncomfortable with the room being silent, remind yourself why silence is so beneficial. And especially in Savasana, think of this promotion of inner peace and the tranquility, relaxation. Yeah, think of all the things, all the benefits, the time that people can process or even reflect, or simply the simplest thing to enjoy a moment to themselves, right? Remind yourself of these things. If it adds to your class, if it's your style of teaching, if your students love hearing you speak a lot, do go for it. It doesn't mean that you can't speak at all if it's not a cue. That's not what I'm trying to say with this, but be intentional with what you share it. What you say, how you say, but also when you say it. So, Filling the silence and habit to pay attention to and understand for yourself if this is something that you can improve or optimize. Then the next thing we spoke so far about overcomplicating cues and instructions. Now we spoke about inaccurate and non-inclusive language or words and filling the silence. The fourth habit that we want to pay attention to is Filler words. Filler words are in some ways similar to filling the silence. Filler words are words that we often use unconsciously that help you think for a moment or help you buy time to think of something that you want to say. And they also might be something that you've heard other people say, you unconsciously copied it, and now suddenly it's something that you say all the time. One of those filler words for me is amazing. I say amazing all the time without even thinking about it. One problem with this, it doesn't sound very genuine anymore. But other filler words are thinking, uh, or mm-hmm, uh-huh, but also words like great, amazing, well done, or hold on, wait for a moment. Yeah, sorry is a big one for many teachers. So filler words, just as all the other points I mentioned already, can cause confusion and distraction and also a disrupted practice. Yeah, they disrupt the flow of your practice. 
and the meditative qualities of your yoga asana classes. For some students, these filler words can be really annoying and cause them to not even go back to your classes anymore because they really disrupt their ability to find peace or find tranquility. And it also disengages them from their own body and their practice or makes their practice less enjoyable. Now, apart from the effect that these filler words have on your students' practice, they can also make your students think that you are less knowledgeable or unsure about what you're saying. Especially if you use filler words to express that you're thinking about something, it can come off that you're not prepared or you don't know what you're doing. And it can affect the trust that they have in you leading them through the class. It doesn't mean that you don't know what you're doing. Sometimes we just need to think of something. We're trying to find the right word to express ourselves more clearly. You know very well what you're doing, but overusing words that fill up this silence or express that you're thinking about something may cause your students to mistrust that you know what you're doing. So, as a teacher, you're a professional and your communication is key. So to overcome excessively using filler words, practice mindful communication. So take pauses when you can or when you prefer. Plan your cues in advance. So write them out. Practice speaking to yourself. Practice teaching yourself. Practice teaching yoga to friends and family. and. With that, you can give yourself constructive feedback on how you're doing, find points of improvement, and gain confidence in your verbal communication. So in module two of the Teacher and English journey, we have a lesson completely dedicated to filler words. And all throughout the course, you get to practice unlearning them in your teaching practices. So you will not only find out what your filler words are, but also learn how to unlearn them. And you will also be able to identify them in other people if you haven't done anything like this before. But for now, watch and listen to recordings of your teachings, your classes or your practices, and try to detect some of the filler words that you use. And then ask yourself, are there synonyms, other words, that I can replace them with? For example, if one of your filler words is amazing, there are hundreds of adjectives that you can replace amazing with, right? Or is it a filler word that's better replaced with silence? Like, uh-huh, could be one if it's too often. Uh, thinking about something could be replaced with silence, yeah? So... Filler words, watch your recorders, replace them with synonyms or allow for silence. The last thing that I would like to share with you is a very sensitive one. And this is not to be hard or harsh on you. It's not to tell you off at all. But it's something that I want you to be aware of and something that can massively boost your authenticity. So the final habit to first pay attention to and see if this is something that you do and then 
give yourself the time and the practice to improve it, is a pretend yoga teacher voice. Pretend yoga teacher voice. So to me, there is nothing more annoying than a yoga teacher that sounds like all other yoga teachers. And it may sound really harsh, but what I mean with that is that you haven't discovered or you haven't embodied your authentic voice, your own voice, your personal expression. And you're speaking in a way that you think a yoga teacher should sound like. Or maybe even you're acting in a way that you think a teacher should be like or behave like. Yeah. I usually hear two things. Number one is the yoga teacher that is ready for bed. And they speak with a very low, very soft voice. They take you to the class. <laughs> can't even try and set it up. They take you to the class and say they're ready for bed or they want to put you to bed. The other yoga teacher is ready for the club. And they speak with a lot of excitement, a lot of hype, a lot of intonation, very fast. They go through the practice. They sometimes even forget to breathe themselves. Yeah, so it's very often one of those two or not very often a combination, but something in the middle. So a pretend yoga teacher voice can cause your students to mistrust you because they know, they feel in your energy that you're not being yourself. And students want a teacher, just as you want a teacher, that you can relate to and connect with. When you hide your true self, it's likely that you haven't embraced your authenticity yet and that you may struggle to understand and address your students' unique needs and challenges too. Because before we can actually teach as our authentic self, we need to fully embrace, accept, and understand who we are as teachers, right? So an inauthentic teaching style also does not convey your passion, your knowledge, and your enthusiasm. So it may sound like you're acting, and this can result in really uninspiring yoga classes. And the worst thing that could happen is for your students to not come back anymore. So remember, as a teacher and as a yoga student too, yoga is an opportunity to find your self-expression, your self-discovery, embracing your authentic voice and allowing to express yourself, your unique perspectives, your experiences, your insights, everything that you have learned that you can help others with too. All the challenges that you have overcome that you can help others with now. All the things that you love about yoga, because there will be things that you love more than others. Maybe you love Ayurveda. Maybe you love the meridians. Maybe you love the chakras. Maybe you love the koshas, right? There are topics within yoga that make you really excited. And those are the things that you want to share with your students. And it's important that we not only understand our way of communication, but also the things, the skills, the passions, the interests that make you unique and share those things with your students. That doesn't only allow you to be more authentic, but also stand out from the crowd. Because otherwise, you're just another yoga teacher. Not to downgrade anyone's experience or skill, but you want to show up as yourself. 
Yeah. So embracing your authentic voice allows you to grow massively and also evolve as a teacher, to grow into your role as a yoga teacher. It allows you to use your creativity and also explore new styles, new styles of teaching or new methods, new techniques. So in all our courses and all our resources, my aim is a huge focus on self-discovery and developing your authentic expression. And my aim at Enga is to help you find your voice, even in English, even if English is your second, your third or your fourth language, so that you can express yourself without losing the essence of your personality and thereby connect much deeper with your students. So to summarize, to summarize what we've spoken about today, communication habits, what are they? They are the recurring patterns and the behaviors that we've developed over time while we interact with others. So it's not the way that you give information only, also the way that you receive information and that you interact with people. So speaking, expressing yourself, but also listening and holding space. Now, when speaking to yoga teachers about their communication habits, I'm really focused on the tone of voice, the way you use your voice and project your voice, the types of words you use, the way you put together your sentences, grammar, and also the way in which you listen, respond, and react, and hold space for your students to express themselves. Yeah? So, your communication influences the quality of your cues, your instructions, your overall communication, and your student-teacher relationships. And to gain examples of communication habits, watch the replay from the beginning, because I've given a lot of different examples at the start of this training. What's most important for you right now are the five points that I shared with you that you either need to unlearn Well, first, gain awareness and see if you commit these habits. Committing habits is not actually a thing, but see if if one of these things are your habits. So awareness, then see what you can do instead. If you have forgotten, watch the replay, go through this again so that you can optimize your communication in your yoga classes and maintain flow while you're leading or guiding your students through the asana practice. So I spoke about overcomplicating cues and instructions, filling the silence, inaccurate or non-inclusive language and words, filler words, and a pretend yoga teacher voice. Yeah, so go back through this, reflect on this for yourself. All right, lovelies, sending have a great rest of your day and speak to you soon. Mm. Goodbye. <laughs> you listen to Your Yoga in English brought to you by Enga Unite, a unique online learning platform for non-native English speaking yogis. If you liked what you learned today, I would love for you to leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Enga Unite. Join the community and become a member of the Teach Yoga in English support group. Check out our continuing education membership that offers you the chance to develop your skills and expertise through self-paced learning and live classes and training. 
If you want help understanding what you need to improve and create an action plan to achieve the goals that you have for your career as an international yoga teacher, book a free discovery call with me, Annie. You can find all the links in the show notes. This is your time to invest time in your personal and professional development.